Can South-South value chains lead to better jobs and improve working conditions? That's what we want to discuss today in our seventh episode of Shaping Sustainable Supply Chains. I'm Nicholas Martin. Thanks for listening. I'm joined by Stephanie Barrientos from Manchester, England, where she leads the Shifting South project at the University of Manchester. There she's now an emeritus professor. Stephanie has dedicated a big portion of her career to development issues, focusing on labor and working conditions. Good to have you on the show, Stephanie. Great to be here. And from South Africa, we welcome Shane Godfrey, who recently retired as Director of the Labor Development and Governance Research Unit at the University of Cape Town. Welcome, Shane. Thanks, Nicholas. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. So why have we asked you to join us? Well, in every episode, we look at current research efforts and you both have been working on the Shifting South project together, where you analyze how trade is changing in sub-Saharan Africa, as well as its impact on labor conditions. You are leading that project, Stephanie. In a few words, why is the research you've conducted important? Yes. Now, thank you for the invitation to talk more about the research. So basically, we know a lot about global value chains. That's uh, source European and North American companies have long sourced products from low-income countries, particularly Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And there's long been issues about working conditions in those global value chains. And civil society organizations, NGOs, and trade unions have often campaigned against the big retailers And as a result, they've introduced codes of labor practice to ensure minimum labor standards are adhered to. But what we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is an increasing growth in trade between countries in the global south, between countries in Asia, Africa and Latin America, or within those regions. And these are led by retailers in the same regions, either African retailers or Asian retailers or Latin American. And Africa in particular, sub-Saharan Africa, has received less attention than Asia and Latin America. But we also know that there are important retailers, particularly South African retailers, supermarkets, clothing retailers, that operate not only in South Africa, but across sub-Saharan Africa in many different countries. And what we wanted to find out, they coordinate their value chains in very similar ways to global retailers, but aren't necessarily under the same kind of civil society pressure. And what we wanted to find out was how these regional value chains work, operate in sub-Saharan Africa and the extent to which working conditions for both workers, wage workers, and also small-scale farmers are improved or looked after in those types of value chains. And before we go into the details, the results of your research, just explain us a little bit more about the sectors you've been looking at. You told me, Shane, for instance, you looked at garments. Uh, why is it relevant to sub-Saharan Africa? Well, it's important because it's a light manufacturing sector. Um, so it obviously it is relevant for industrialization and development in the sector. But it also, in Southern Africa, you've got an interesting mix of sectors really 
to a large extent driven by the South African market, which is by far the largest market in the region. And its market has, since the mid-90s, been penetrated very extensively by cheap imports from East Asia, mainly China. And in a sense, its well-established clothing sector, which supplied the domestic market, went into decline. One could even call it a crisis. On the other hand, you had sectors starting from scratch in the 90s in countries like Eswatini and Lesotho, purely driven by foreign direct investment, mainly from Taiwan and China, which were entirely oriented to the U.S. market and, you know, really benefiting from the African um, Growth Opportunities Act, AGOA. Over time, there's been a shift. Some South African manufacturers have moved to Eswatini and Lesotho and set up factories then and continued exporting back into South Africa. There's been a growing regional value chains and regional trade in clothing developing. And initially driven by those South African manufacturers that were relocating, but then they've been followed by the Taiwanese and Chinese investors who have started penetrating the South African market from Lesotho and Eswatini, particularly after Eswatini was suspended from AGOA over labor rights issues and now is, is 100% supplier of the South African market. They've provided a very interesting mix of global value chains and regional value chains, all in a sort of quite dynamic process at the moment, uh, which we were able to study. And when we talk about garments, what are we talking about? What kind of clothing? Is it something particular that we're talking about? No, it's a, it's a wide range of clothing. I think mainly Eswatini and Lesotho supplying to the US. It's pretty much fairly uh, low value added um, standard garments. But the South African market and the South African manufacturers supplying that market It's a wide range of garments and supplying from the discount value end of the market through to the, you know, the, the higher fashion end of the market. And Stephanie, you already mentioned at the beginning the supermarkets. You looked at horticulture. Did you look at the very specific value chain there? Yes. Um, in order to trace the research and to do the research in an in-depth way, tracing all the way through to workers, we focused on fresh fruit and vegetables But specifically in Kenya, we looked at avocados um, and peas and beans. And then in South Africa, we focused on apples. And we chose those because they are products which are produced and retailed by supermarkets, not only within South Africa and Kenya, but they're also traded within the region and they're traded globally. So it was they were just selected because they were a good comparison. In South Africa, it's mainly wage workers who are involved in the production of apples. And in Kenya, it's some wage workers, but the majority is smallholders who produce the avocados and beans and peas. Mm. And you mentioned that the South-South value chains are growing. What are the reasons? Well, partly it's because the retailers in sub-Saharan Africa themselves are becoming more dominant because the key of the value chain is that the retailer coordinates The sourcing right the way back to the origin doesn't just go out into a traditional wholesale market, which was how they might have bought product before, but they source direct from suppliers. So it's partly because of the change in the retailers themselves and the growth, 
but it's also partly because of the growth of middle income, middle class consumers who are able to afford the, as Shane mentioned, the higher end clothing, or in the case of fresh fruit and vegetables, the sort of higher end products like green beans and peas, for example, uh, rather than just very basic staple. But also there's a very important gender dimension, which is more and more women are now in waged employment in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa. And as women move into the workforce, they have less time to do these kinds of activities, producing garments or, or sewing garments or producing food at home. But they also have more money to buy them in from the leading retailers. And sometimes we are also asked, how are actually the researchers working? For instance, now with garments, Shane, how did you find the data on the South-South value chains and, and how on the working conditions? Just in a few words, are you going out doing surveys or how do you get to that data? Well, a lot of the trade data one can access via a website UNCOMTRADE. And that gives you quite extensive information about what's happening in terms of trade trends. But for the rest, a lot of our research was done at, at factories, finding out about conditions at factories and speaking to managers about why they might be uh, changing, uh, preferring different markets to supply into. And of course, a lot of interviews with trade unions and policymakers in government in South Africa, Lesotho and Eswatini. Mm. So you told us that we have growing regional but also domestic markets, which led to growing business opportunities, stronger middle class, you mentioned, and therefore stronger ties in South-South value chains. But African producers have also well-established supply chain relationships with retailers based in Europe and North America. You already mentioned that. How would you describe the interconnections between the rather new South-South value chains and the older North-South value chains, Stephanie? Yes, well, we found this is partly what we were investigating, was how these value chains interconnect. And we found slightly different results for fresh fruit and vegetables compared to garments. So for fresh fruit and vegetables, what we found was that the African retailers um, source both from suppliers who also supply Europe, particularly in fresh fruit and, breast, uh, and veg, it's more Europe. But they also source directly from suppliers within Kenya and South Africa who do not also supply into Europe. And in fact, we also found that where they don't get sufficient supply, they will also go to the more traditional wholesale markets. So we actually found a sort of uh, overlap in the fresh fruit and vegetables between the different supply chains at the point of the African supermarkets. But now let's look at the results. Did you find out who's more responsible for the value chain when it comes to job, when it comes to good conditions? Is it the northern retailer, the buyer that applies, like you said, private standards? Or is it the southern retailer who is ensuring better working conditions? Shane, what did you find out? Well, if one takes a step away from the public governance and what the state has introduced in terms of setting labor conditions, And looking at what the retailers are requiring their suppliers to comply with, one finds a major difference between 
private governance in US-oriented value chains, where those retailers are under consumer pressure regarding working conditions at their suppliers and have a quite well-developed corporate social responsibility program at those suppliers. That's very different at the regional level in garments. There's somewhat of a what we were calling a private governance void when one looks at the um, South-South value chains. How that plays out in terms of the actual standards on the ground, um, I think is a more complex question because I think public governance plays a much bigger role than private governance in terms of setting those minimum standards. Before we go into the lessons that derive from maybe both sectors, maybe you want to tell us, Stephanie, what your research said about the horticulture chain. Did it show the same, that northern retailers with their private standards are, let's say, more responsible than southern retails that are not actually guaranteeing any standards? Yes, we found um, differences between the different types of retailer um, within sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, but what we primarily found was that where they source from suppliers that also supply to European markets, those suppliers on the whole have what they call codes of labour practice. In other words, they have to comply with the corporate social responsibility programme of the European retailers. And in most cases, those private codes require um, implementation of um, uh, public legislation. And on top of that, there are private social audits which check whether those regulations are being complied with. But where they source from suppliers that don't also supply into Europe or even North America in the case of um, garments, then South African retailers are beginning to bring in private codes. And we saw one or two that clearly advanced in that respect. But on the whole, they don't have private codes. They just assume that the supplier will comply with national legislation, labour legislation in that country. And what we found is that that's variable. Some do, some don't. But in both cases, fresh fruit and vegetables as well as garments in Kenya and in South Africa, they have quite good labour laws. But what we also saw in the research is that in both cases, in different ways and to a different extent, the governments are getting more involved in overseeing and monitoring the value chains. And to some extent, that's now bringing in issues around labour standards and the implementation of better labor standards. So what you're saying is that the, the private standards northern retailers apply, they are better than the standards, the national standards we found in the countries you analyzed? Yes. But don't forget, all the main codes of labor practice have two elements to them. One is that they have their own set of standards, which are largely based on the standards set by the International Labor Organization. But they also require that that the suppliers comply with national legislation in their own country and which it ever is higher. So in reality, South Africa, or on paper, South Africa and Kenya both have good formal legislation covering labour standards. And therefore, in both cases, the private codes require compliance with that. And they help to enforce that. They play a role. There are still issues of non-compliance, but particularly in relation to certain types of worker, 
more casual workers, migrant workers, etc. So there are issues. But there is a sort of formal process for checking on that, even if it's not always very effective. Whereas what we found in the regional value chains, with the exception of a few retailers and South African retailers, is that the retailers simply assume that suppliers will comply with national legislation. They don't check on it. They, they don't try and follow through. And so therefore, you have much more variable um, and often much higher levels of non-compliance. But it depended a lot, again, on the type of worker, which I could go into more detail, and the type of smallholder, because in Kenya, as I said earlier, it was largely smallholder production. What roles are the governments playing in the whole thing in improving the standards? Yeah, so governments are playing different roles in two countries. So in Kenya, where they're probably playing a more advanced role, uh, but particularly in relation to fresh fruit and vegetable, is that for a number of reasons, the Kenyan government has introduced in 2019 a regulation called KS 1758, which firstly requires better food hygiene standards. And the reason for that is because they faced problems in Kenya selling fresh fruit vegetables into Europe due to uh, what's called the MRL crisis, where too much pesticide was being used. But also the Kenyan government has introduced this as a result of issues of cancer, increasing incidence of cancer within Kenya. So the, what they, the, the public governance of food safety standards requires is traceability from the retailers, right the, whether they're global or domestic or regional, right the way through to the producer to check that food safety is complied with. But on top of that, KS 1758 also includes the equivalent of uh, private standards in relation to labour and working conditions. That's relatively new. It was too early to know how effective that law is. In South Africa, what we found was that the both in garments and in uh, horticulture is that government is getting much more involved in overseeing um, domestic value chain. In garments, it's through what's called the master plan. Um, in horticulture, it's through value chain round tables. And to some extent, in both cases, they include cooperation with trade unions and civil society in developing these plans. But at the moment, they're voluntary. They're not regulatory. In other words, retailers choose to comply with them or volunteer to comply with them. Um, and so it's still at a very early stage. But we definitely in both countries see governments getting more involved than they were previously um, in overseeing the value chain. Shane, do you want to add on that with respect to garment as well? I would just add to what Stephanie has said by focusing on the regional dimension. And I think what's important is that the various regional trade agreement and the Southern African Customs Union is the absence of social clauses dealing with labor conditions related to goods that are being traded. What our search pointed to was something of a void um, in terms of labor conditions governance at the regional level. Um, and I think that's a key issue for um, future policy. So let's sum up a little bit. We, we talked about the South-South, growing South-South value chains. And you also said that with some exemptions, 
You can see that labor conditions between South-South are not better, rather worse than with North-South connection. And you also said that governments play an important role in setting up those standards. So let me ask you, and it might not be connected to your study, but why are governments lacking these standards? Is this somehow kind of laziness in the sense, okay, let's make some business? Or would you say it's just an awakening starting, a slow sensitivity that this is needed? What are the reasons? What do you think? Yes, I think there are a number of drivers here. As I mentioned earlier, both South Africa and Kenya do have relatively good labour standards in the legislation on paper. The big issue has been the lack of implementation and lack of enforcement of those labour standards. And that's for a number of reasons, uh, partly just simply resourcing of labour inspectorates, but also in the case of Kenya, where it's smallholder agriculture, These are very dispersed, small-scale farmers where who do employ and do use informal workers, uh, casual workers, but where it's very difficult to enforce um, labour standards. So I think there are multiple reasons. I think the reason though why governments are now becoming more or beginning to be more concerned about labour standards in the value chain is partly because of the growth of retailers within South Africa and, and Kenya who also want, or potentially at least, under more pressure from civil society to ensure better labour standards in their value chain. So this is at a very early stage. Um, only one or two of the leading retailers have begun to respond at that level. But it is something that could potentially increase in future, particularly within the countries, within the domestic value chains, where the governments themselves oversee the domestic retailers. But as Shane mentioned in relation to the regional value chains across sub-Saharan Africa or across Africa, even the continent of Africa, there the, the possibility of public governance, right, regulatory clauses within these trade agreements is still a long way to go. Mm. Stephanie, you as the project leader, what do you think? How will the research make a difference? I think um, particularly in the current context where um, globalization is, is really under stress, I don't think value chains are going to go away. But what we are seeing is a shift much more to domestic and regional value chains just because of the problems of sourcing across you know, from China and across the world and the risks that there are if there's pandemic or crisis such as a kind of geopolitical mm -hmm. tension. Um, and therefore, I think there will be a, a trend towards uh, more regional value chains and domestic value chains in future coordinated by retailers in those regions and in those countries. Um, uh, and that, But that raises big questions, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, Asia and Latin America, um, is uh, does that, this also mean decent work For, for workers in those same countries. And don't forget, those workers are also the consumers in those countries. So they have you know, a potential role to play in supporting the expansion of regional value chains and domestic value chains. So I think this is a long process that we're engaged in, but I think the research will inform policymakers both how this is evolving, where the gaps are, and the kinds of strategies and policies that would be needed 
to um, improve decent work. Thanks, Stephanie, and thank you so much for joining us today. This was our seventh episode of Shaping Sustainable Supply Chains. Today we asked, can South-South value chains lead to better jobs? And the answer, if I can sum it up roughly, is not yet, but maybe in the future. <laughs> and uh, the answers were provided by Shane Godfrey uh, from the University of Cape Town and Stephanie Barrientos from the University of Manchester. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thanks very much, Nicholas. And we will be back in a few weeks from now with our podcast number eight. I'm Nicholas Martin. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please be well, take care and be safe. <laughs>